Um, so I do, I have good news and bad news. Um, I shared this at 9.30. The good news is that I'm committed from now to the end of the year to preach shorter sermons. I knew it. I knew it. I knew y'all were going to clap for that. But I appreciate your honesty. At 9.30, they all sat there like, what, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed so I appreciate your honesty. I, I get it. I understand. Um, okay, but uh, the bad news is, good news, I'm preaching shorter sermons for a while. The bad news is you're not getting out of here any earlier. <laughs> um, so we're going to try something for a few weeks. We're just going to take some of that time that would normally go in the like, official sermon, and we're just going to scoot it up to right now. And it'll give us a chance to like, hear some testimonies from people within the church, maybe a video one week that'll help explain some things. Um, it gives us the opportunity to flex and just have the ability uh, to try some things. Uh, for this week, I'm basically just going to take what I would have cut out of my sermon and do it right now. <laughs> so, um, so what I want to do uh, for, the, for the rest of this series, really, um, as we continue to talk about our identity, our search for what's true about me and about you, we're going to use the parables of Jesus because they really do tell us a lot about who we are. So what I wanna do really quickly before Roland comes up and prays um, is I just wanna talk about parables, what they are and how Jesus uses them because I think we can easily misunderstand that. So if you were to Google this afternoon, if you were to Google the word parable, you'd get the Oxford Dictionary definition and it would say this, a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. Now what's interesting is then it goes on to talk about such as the parable of the men and the elephant which is not a parable that Jesus taught in the Gospels. <laughs> but, uh, so the Oxford Dictionary is partially right. Parables were told by Jesus in the Gospels. They're actually used all throughout scripture. Um, the prophets use parables all the time. Uh, but parables, they're not lessons to teach us how to live our best life in this world. They're actually stories about what life is like in another. Parables are not simple lessons in morality. They're verbal demonstrations of the kingdom of God. They're stories that demonstrate to us the kingdom and its king. And these are stories that are grounded in this world, but they inspire our imagination to consider what life would be like in another. In many ways, the parables, they're like Jesus's miracles. Jesus's miracles were physical demonstrations of life in the kingdom. So that when the lame and the sick, when they would encounter Jesus, what would happen? <laughs> you know the answer. When the lame and the sick encountered Jesus, what would happen? They were healed. That's a demonstration of the fact that in the kingdom of God, there is no sickness. When Jesus calmed the sea, it's a demonstration of the reality that in the kingdom of God, there is no chaos. So there's no reason to be afraid. When he multiplied the bread and the fish, it's a sign that there's no need in the kingdom. When dead Lazarus is raised back to this life and walked out of his tomb, it's the ultimate demonstration of the truth that in God's kingdom, death has been defeated once and for all. So much like that, Jesus' parables are verbal demonstrations of that same kingdom. And these parables do a couple things. I want to tell you about three of them. The first one, and the order here is important. The first thing they do is they shine a light on who God is. They reveal to us something about the character and the nature of the king. And they tell us about the king so that, second, we can better understand what life is like in his kingdom. And in some parables, that king is described as a father, uh, like the parable of the prodigal son. Sabrina preached the first half of that parable a couple weeks ago. We'll look at the second half next week about the prodigal's elder brother. That parable is actually about the father. 
It's not about the sons. It is a parable about a father who has two lost sons. In other parables, the hero of the story or the person that best describes who and what God is, it might be a shepherd, uh, it might be a woman who lost a coin, a landowner, a businessman. Jesus is using characters from this world to tell us about a king who is setting aside space in another. And Jesus goes further. He demonstrates for us who God is. And those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, they can see that the same God being revealed to us in the parables are also being revealed to us in Jesus' life and ministry. But the parables do a third thing, really quick. They reveal the character of God seen in the person of Jesus. They not only describe life in his kingdom, but they also hold up a mirror to us. They reflect back to us some difficult truths about who we have become. Not necessarily who we were created to be, who God designed and intends for us to be. They hold up a mirror to show us who we are now. They hold up a mirror to the reality of our brokenness to show just how far God's image bearers have fallen from the kind of kingdom life for which we were created. And the reality is that can be kind of difficult to hear. So Jesus didn't teach in parables to make things easier to understand. Sometimes quite the opposite is actually true because the reality is some people sometimes were just not ready to see. We're just not ready to hear what these parables have to say. We don't always have eyes to see and ears to hear. I recently had this experience with two parables. I have heard and I've studied them more than just a couple times. I just didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear what they were saying until literally just two weeks ago. I'll tell you more about those next week. So to wrap up this little introduction, um, as we prepare to hear two of Jesus' parables today, we're gonna take some time in prayer. Roland, if you wanna go ahead and come up. But as we pray, I just wanna invite all of us to ask the Spirit to give us eyes to see, to give us ears to hear, so that Jesus' words will reveal to us the character and the nature of the King, that these parables that we hear today, that they would be verbal demonstration of life in his kingdom, and that they would uncomfortably sometimes hold up a mirror to us so that we can see the truth about who God created to be and come to understand just how far we've fallen. And that doesn't sound like it would be good news, but I'm telling you it is. As strange as it might seem, hearing and seeing how far we've fallen from God's plan and design for us, that is actually what inspires our worship. It inspires us to celebrate God's grace and his mercy because it reminds us that God is good and that God is taking his broken image bearers and he's putting those pieces back together again. And I'm telling you that is really good news. Amen? All right. So we are searching for what is true about me and about you, and we have seen um, over the past few weeks, uh, we've seen that we are known, that we are loved and accepted, not because of anything we've done, but because God has searched us and knows us and loves us simply because it's God's will to love us. We've seen that we are worth dying for, not because of anything we've done, but because he's the good shepherd who willingly lays down his life for his sheep. Over the past couple weeks, we've seen that we are made in the image of God, and that image is to be expressed through the work that we do in the world. 
as we serve creation as God's representatives, as we work as shepherd kings. Last week, we saw that we image God in the world in a particular way, through the way we communicate as humans, that we are God's speech creatures, that we are able to speak things into existence that bring order to chaos when we are acting like his image bearers. When we aren't, we speak things that cause chaos. Now, I'm convinced that all this is true about me and about you. And I want to read you two parables today that are going to reveal a shocking truth. It was definitely a shocking truth to the original audience. It might even be shocking to us today. I'm convinced that all this is true about me and about you, and I'm convinced that it's true about them too. So I want you to hear this familiar parable from Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 25. Luke tells it this way. He says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. So Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the first thing is we need to remember the setting of Jesus' telling of the parable. Who is he talking to? Who is he talking to? Popcorn. Okay. He's talking to an expert in the law. That's what it says in verse 25. Oftentimes when we hear these parables, we think he's talking to a crowd. Here, this is a one-on-one conversation. On one occasion, an expert in law stood up. And what was that expert's motivation? To test Jesus. Now that Greek word can be translated to test or to tempt. My Greek dictionary defines the word this way. It says to entrap someone into giving information that will jeopardize that person. That's how the word is being used in this verse. An expert in the law stood up to entrap Jesus into giving information that would jeopardize Jesus and his ministry. And to that, Jesus responds with a parable. (laughs) And to this Jewish expert in the law, Jesus decides to tell him a story about a good Samaritan. And I'm sure you've heard some of this, but you need to understand just how controversial that was. 
Like many of you might be aware that Samaritans were just the most hated people from a Jewish perspective. The hate went both ways. That phrase, good Samaritan, that we so often use, y'all, it's an oxymoron in context. N.T. Wright explains it this way. He says, the hatred between Jews and Samaritans had gone on for hundreds of years and is still reflected tragically in the smoldering tension between Israel and Palestine today. Both sides claim to be the true inheritors of the promise to Abraham and Moses. Both sides regard themselves as the rightful possessors of the land. A real disdain, even hatred for one another that has resulted in perpetual conflict. There was so much tension around this issue back then that when Jesus asked the man which of these three was the neighbor, the man replied like he couldn't even bring himself to use the word Samaritan. The man replies by just saying, the one who had mercy on him. Listen, Jesus is elevating not an enemy. Jesus is elevating a person, an image bearer of God, who just happens to be part of a tribe that lived in tension and in conflict with Israel. And Jesus has not only introduced the idea that this enemy is capable of mercy and is worthy of being loved as a neighbor, but remember what I said earlier, the hero of this story is always revealing something that is true about the Father and his kingdom. In this parable, the character representing God is not a father, it's not a shepherd, it's not a landowner. It's a hated Samaritan. Now, some might say that Jesus was picking a fight, that this is one of the ways Jesus was making sure that one day he would end up on that cross. (laughs) I don't think that's what he was doing. He was gonna end up on that cross one way or the other. I think he's just telling the truth. And it's a scandalous truth to the Jewish leaders in the first century that even a Samaritan was created in the image of God and that God, if he chooses, can use them to serve his purposes in the world. So do you want to know what's true about me and about you? Jesus is asking us if we have eyes to see and ears to hear that it just might be true about them too. Now there's another parable, this one again from the Gospel of Luke. This comes from Luke chapter 14. I'm gonna start in verse 16. I'll catch you up on the context in just a minute. It says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I have to go see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported to his master, Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. So the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you that not one of those who were invited to, will invited will get a taste of my banquet. This too is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. And listen, something incredible is happening in this parable, in the setting of the parable and in the setting in which it's told. And you might miss it if you're not listening closely. And I would invite you to go home later today and read all of Luke 14 for context. But what you'll find is that Jesus has been invited to a dinner party. He's been invited to a dinner party and he goes to this party and this party is hosted by a prominent Pharisee in the community. He was invited by a person of great means, of great importance. And it tells us that Jesus was invited, but that he was being closely watched. Invited, but with an agenda, right? And what we know is that Jesus was watching closely too. And what he saw as he watched is that people were jockeying for that prime seat at the table, positioning themselves, looking for that seat of honor closest to the host. And as you do at a dinner party, when you see people behaving strangely, Jesus pointed this out to them. (laughs) And he said to them that those who would try to puff themselves up and seek status, they're going to be humbled. But those who are humble will be lifted up. (laughs) I'm sure that went over well. So then he goes on to tell them a parable (laughs) about a party that nobody wanted to attend. A party that the prominent and important people didn't want to go to because they all had excuses. There were things that were more important to them than the party or its host. They were landowners, business people, newlyweds, all people of status, all with more important things to do. So then the host of that party invites the least of these, the lame, the blind, the crippled, and the poor. And then he sends his servant out to invite anyone who would listen beyond just their town, but out into the world. Anyone who will listen, anyone with ears to hear, you're invited to come. Anyone who wants to come. So at a dinner party with important people, Jesus tells a story about another party that could have been happening just down the street. A party filled with undesirables. People who were ostracized from the prominent, by the prominent, because of their sickness, because of their disability, because of their social status, or because they came from another town or maybe even another country. Because they were them. That party, Jesus says, is like the kingdom of God. And its host is the king. And in the telling of this story, everyone must notice who's not there. The important people the people of status who have better things to do, landowners, business people, a prominent Pharisee who's hosting a dinner party of his own. I imagine if Jesus wanted to go on and explain this parable more clearly, he might say like, you all think this fancy party with these important people where you get together and look down on the lame and the sick, you think that this party is the party that's like the kingdom of God. But friends, the kingdom party is actually happening down the street and you're not there. Because you have failed to understand that what God has said to be true about you, it's true about them too. And those people are overjoyed and they're celebrating. But here's what's amazing. Like even in the telling of this parable, not just the setting of the parable, but the setting in which he tells it, You could very quickly assume this parable is just down on anybody of any importance, right? If you're important, if you're wealthy, if you have status, you're just out. That's how it can seem, right? Jesus demonstrates 
his mercy, and the grace of God's kingdom. Which party is Jesus at? (laughs) He's not at the kingdom party down the street. He goes to the party with the people who don't want to go. He goes to be with those who don't want him. But Jesus is there anyway because he won't give up because he's going to keep chasing after his people. Because what is true about the lame, about the blind, about the crippled and the poor, that they are known, that they are loved, and that they are worth dying for, it's true about the landowner, the business person, and the newlywed. It's true about them too. These are two parables, and these are radical, controversial stories that both declare the goodness and the mercy of God. They put in story form the visible reality of God's grace. They point people toward the ultimate expression of love, the ultimate expression of God's grace in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. These are two parables that proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Two parables that hold up a mirror to us, to me, to my tendency to see myself as a child of God, as an insider, while at the same time maybe looking at others as less than, as them. The two parables that remind us that every human was made in the image of God. Now listen, every human is a broken image. Every human is a broken mirror. And some are broken so far, they've been overtaken by evil altogether. But every human was made in the image of God. That's literally what it means to be human. And Jesus is just inviting us to allow him to put those pieces back together again by his death and resurrection through the power of his spirit. Like whatever it is that separates us, and y'all, we are really good at creating things that separate us from one another. Nationalities, race, profession, finances, life choices, whatever it is, these parables hold a mirror up to us and they reveal that whatever we find in our search for what's true about me and about you, it's true about them too, whoever them happens to be. And listen, it's not my place to tell you who them might be for you. I'm just inviting you to let Jesus and his parables reveal that to you. Have eyes to see and ears to hear. Who are the people that maybe you have a tendency to lump together as just the other, as them, that maybe over time we come to see them as less than? And y'all, I'm not criticizing. We all do it. I do it. I think most of the time we, we do it without realizing it. Rather than seeing an individual, maybe we just see a group that they represent. And then we oppose the individual, a broken image bearer of God on behalf of that group. That individual just becomes one of them rather than a human being made in the image of God, created to glorify and enjoy God forever. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. This is getting heavy. It's going to get heavier in a minute, but before it gets heavier, let me lighten it up a little. Um, Maybe today, the other is that individual fan of the Texas Rangers. (laughs) Like you see that Rangers jersey and you think you're one of them. 
And I guarantee you that right now, that's how they're looking at us. <laughs> I told you all before, I still can't look at a New York Mets logo or anyone who wears it because of what they did to 11-year-old Chad and my Astros in 1986. <laughs> Lord, give Chad eyes to see and ears to hear. I was telling my cohort, my demon cohort this summer, one of the pastors in the group, uh, a member of his church, is the chaplain for guess who? The New York Mets. <laughs> and I confessed, I revealed my hatred and disdain for that team and everything they represent. And they are praying for me. <laughs> <laughs> These pastors and friends, they believe that I'm broken and I'm living in sin <laughs> that I refuse to confess. And they're praying for me and, and they need to. So look, this plays out in small ways, silly ways. But it plays out in really heavy and dramatic ways too. And I'm not saying this about you, I'm talking about our culture, okay? In our culture, this plays out when we make sweeping judgments about entire groups of people based on which side of the aisle they're on politically, whether it's right or left sweeping judgments about entire groups of people based on which side of the border they were born on. Whether that's the border just to the south of us or the borders that separate Jews and Palestinians. And listen, like I said in the prayer, Israel's fight is against evil, it's against terrorism and that is a just fight. It doesn't mean that every human being on the other side of that border is a terrorist. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us the wisdom to know the difference. And those are just a couple of the debates going on in our culture and around the world. We're not even scratching the surface. But what is it here for us? Like, what is it here in this church? Like, maybe the other is someone from a different generation. And maybe they're not the other in a disdainful or hateful way, but maybe you just don't understand them. And maybe because you don't understand them, you, you just aren't that interested in getting to know them and vice versa. Maybe the other is someone with a different preference in worship style and music. Like these might seem like really small things comparatively, but the evil one can use almost anything to separate us from one another and to separate us from God. A less dramatic separation is a separation nonetheless. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We must stand against all evil as we fulfill that baptismal oath to oppose evil in all its forms. But we need to consider how we are looking at other image bearers and consider how we're using our voices as we do it. I read this to you last week from James chapter three. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So I wonder, might God be calling his church, not just this church, his church, to overcome generational divisions, to work together, to learn together, to grow together, to do life together? Might God be calling his church to overcome divisions of preference and learn to worship and serve together? And listen, preferences are okay. It's good to have options. I love that we have different options in worship styles. It's just not good that those preferences and options become a source of division. 
And I know that this is what God wants to do in his church because he's done it here. We have some room to grow in this generational divide, but I'm telling you as somebody who started here in 2002, wearing sandals and a guitar, starting an evening service that not many people wanted, I know that there was real division over these things here in this church. And I'm telling you, one of the most beautiful things in the world is to come back to it and to come back years later and to see that those preferences remain, but the division is gone. I know that God can do these things. What about in the world? Might God be calling his church to be a people who oppose evil in all of its forms, who stand against evil, who seek God's justice for acts of terror? who support our Jewish brothers and sisters and look for ways to show mercy to the innocent Palestinian image bearers? Might God be calling us to be a people who can support those who enforce and make the laws of our nation that protect our borders, that protect our cities and our families, and recognize that there are Mexican and Honduran and Peruvian and other immigrants that are men, women, and children, human beings made in the image of God that are broken just like you and me, broken images that God wants to restore. I need to tell you this really quick, and I just told you I would try to preach shorter. <laughs> but, um, just really quick. There's a tattoo artist, very famous. I'm sure you all know her. <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke. <laughs> but for younger generations, he's very famous and very well known. Her name is Kat Von D, K-A-T-V-O-N, and the letter D. Kat Von D is covered in tattoos. She's an incredible tattoo artist, but for most of her life, she was caught up in like uh, gothic clothes. Um, she would dabble in like occult practices and other things. She recently has been attending a church for the past year and just a month or so ago was baptized and has put on her social media the story, the image of her baptism, and has told about her coming to faith in Jesus, that she realized she can no longer do it on her own, and that she realized that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And in the months since she put that video on social media, do you know who some of her greatest critics are? Christians. Because she still has the dark black hair. Because she's not covering up all of her tattoos. One of them, I even read the post, one of them said that in her baptism, her hand didn't go underwater, so she wasn't fully baptized. <laughs> Y'all, that's silly, but I'm telling you, that's biblical. That's the Pharisees. And we are not always innocent of this. That is a sister in Christ who has a lot of room to grow, just like you and just like me. I'll end with this, I promise. Um, one of our elders, Wendy Arlotto, she sent this to me in an email yesterday and I asked her permission to share it. Um, it it's the perfect way to end our time um, this morning. She said this. She said, can you imagine a world if the church body genuinely loved God and others as Jesus did? In Houston, where there are so many churches, exclamation point, would we still have the large encampments of homeless people living under our freeways? Would we still have one of the highest crime rates in the nation? Would we still have so many families broken by divorce? There's obviously room for improvement. And then she said, I cannot control what's happening in the Middle East 
at the U.S. border, or even in the halls of our government, but I can control my words and my actions. I can put my trust in Jesus and not in political institutions or ideologies. I can be a light to those around me by offering compassion, forgiveness, aid, and encouragement. It is not easy to love my enemies. It's not easy to forgive those who hurt me. It's not easy to extend love and kindness to those who are difficult or to trust in God when I'm fearful and worried. But as Christ followers, we are called to do just that. So what I can do is humble myself and follow Jesus even when it's hard. He's empowered us through the Holy Spirit to do this, to break the cycle of rebellion and fear and hate if we humble ourselves and trust in him. We are to be his representatives here on earth until he returns. We are not to hide our light. That woman can preach. Y'all, we are known, we are loved, we are worth dying for, we are made in the image of God and we are called to reflect that image as we work and speak order into chaos and in our search for what is true about me and about you, let's just not forget, it's true about them too. Let's pray. We are a room full of broken image bearers. And for those in this room that have surrendered and submitted their life to Jesus, those pieces are being put back together so that we can reflect God's glory, God's goodness, God's mercy out into the world. Father, pray that your spirit would guide us and give us the wisdom to be able to tell the difference between real evil that has rejected you fundamentally and simple broken image bearers who are waiting to be put back together again. Give us the wisdom to know the difference and give us the courage to tell them the truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.